This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Today is part of our town hall series in partnership with the Washington Indivisible Network and Indivisible Tacoma. We present an evening of conversation on education in the state of Washington with LD25 candidate for representative Jamie Smith and Pierce County Council candidate Jenny Hitchin, both of whom are teachers. This conversation was recorded live on the evening of Thursday, October 1st as part of a panel of current and aspiring office holders here in the state. For the full conversation, go to soundcloud.com WSIP sets. We will talk next with Jamie Smith and Jenny Hitchin. Jamie Smith has served as a teacher for 17 years with a master's in education and has a national board certification in adolescence and young adult uh, adult social studies. She is running for representative in position one in LD25. Jenny Hitchin has spent her career working as an educator in our public schools at the elementary, middle, and high school level. She is an active member of the Washington Education Association, and she is running for Pierce County Council in District 6, an area she has lived in for 28 years. As you can see, this next section is going to be all from the teacher's perspective, and we are so grateful to have both of you. Jamie Smith, Jenny Hitchin, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So as I mentioned, you're both teachers, so I want to start with something that is very top of mind right now, and Jenny, I'll direct this question to you to begin with. So across the states, school districts are having to make decisions about how or even whether to open their schools in the face of the pandemic uh, based on risk assessment from the health department. Pierce County was recently moved from high risk to moderate risk, and now a majority of the schools are moving to to reopen and and do so very rapidly. What are your thoughts on this decision? So we know that uh, for our community to get back to some sense of normalcy, we need our kids in school. Um, We are not babysitters as educators. Uh, A lot of teachers were really upset when people said that. So, um, but we really, uh, we know that our kids need to be in building to be successful, but it is a public health concern and the numbers are actually going in the wrong direction again in Pierce County. And so we need to be working together as a community to make sure that we are keeping those numbers down. And so my concern as an educator is how do we actually get a second grader who wants to hug who has a runny nose, who can't keep a mask on their face to save their life from social, like, how do we keep them socially distanced? It's just, it's an, it's a, it's just not in their way. That's just not what they do. And when they're at home, it's easy because they're isolated with their family. But as soon as you put them with their friends and around their teachers who they've missed, they're going to want to interact. And so it's, how do we do that in a safe way? And the only way that's going to work that I see is making sure that we really are reducing the number of students that are coming in building regularly and that parents and adults that are caring for their kids are really doing what districts are asking them to do, which is to screen their kids at home. It doesn't mean you're going getting COVID kids, COVID tests for second graders, but what you're doing is you're checking their temperature, you're making sure they're not around other people that are sick. And then if they are even possibly sick or anything, we need you to keep them home um, because the spread in a school is going to spread across a community. There's just no other way to count it. Jamie, let's bring you in and get your thoughts. What, what are, not only what are your thoughts about this decision, but also, and I should mention that you're both union leaders. What do you think should be d- done at this point to ensure the safety of teachers and students? 
Yeah. So one of the things, and you mentioned that our numbers went down. I, I do have to say our numbers went back, are going back up. And you, um, some parents just and teachers, we just found out today that kids aren't coming back as soon as we thought. So we do need to look at the numbers, but if the, we want the kids back as soon as possible, but we want them back safe. It's very hard to tell a family why their kid isn't in school, but it's impossible to tell their a family why they lost their child. And so we want them to be safe, but we need the community to do the simple things like wear a mask, wash hands, uh, physically distance. I don't like the term social distance. You can be social, but you need to physically be apart. And we need to make sure that the districts have the PPE, that we have it for our kids. Not all our kids can afford it. or And so we have to make sure we have it. We have to make sure that we have extra ones because we know people are going to forget it. As a teacher, I have them all over the place. And I, you know, I'll go and be like, oh, great. Did I put it in my purse? Do I have it someplace else? Our kids are going to forget things. We have to make sure we have extra. We have to make sure we have the cleaning supplies. And then right now, we're going to have to make sure that we only bring back smaller groups. Most of us don't have classrooms that can fit safely that many kids in. And that's the big thing is we want them to come back and we want them to come back safe. And so we have to make decisions. And what I really encourage every district is to have the teachers be part of that decision. A lot of districts are not. We need teachers. We need parents to be part of it because as a teacher, we can tell you some of these things. There are districts across the state um, or across the nation that are saying parents are sending their kids to school when they know they have COVID and, and the health departments are shocked. But as a teacher, most of us were like, yeah, we, ex we expected that. We, we, we knew that would happen. So we need to have everybody involved in this as we try to bring people back. Because again, it's really difficult to have kids at home. But it's impossible to ever explain to a family why we brought them back too early without the safety measures. And now their child will never come home. Yeah, I mean, so much of what you're talking about here is just kind of setting expectations in what is this unfortunate new normal that we find ourselves in. Uh, so that's at the school level. And because you're running for uh, representative and because we're almost certainly going to be dealing with this in 2021, We'll stay with you on this, Jamie. What are the sorts of things that you would like to see the legislature do to improve conditions for, for teachers and students? So one of the big things is that, and ironically, had we passed a while back the state, um, the initiative that we had for lower class size and have been able to hire the teachers to keep class sizes low, this wouldn't have been as big of an issue because we would have already had enough teachers to be able to bring the kids back in smaller classes. But when we still have, we have in my district classes of 45 right now, we can't bring back 45 kids into a class. And so we need to make sure that we have the funding also for PPE. We need to make sure some people are saying, you know, why are we paying bus drivers? Why are we paying other organizations? Because now we're bringing school to the kids, not just bringing kids to school. We can provide them and bring hotspots so that they have Internet. We are providing and making sure that um, some, of, some of the districts are doing amazing things. They're bringing food and dropping it off because not all kids can come in and get it. They're bringing Wi-Fi on buses so families can park nearby and be able to do that. They're bringing counselors to the kids. So we need to make sure we're maintaining what we have and that we're, the state is talking with districts, figuring out what's working well, and then sharing that information. We also need to make sure broadband is it needs to be a public utility at this point in time, right? And people, some people say, well, no, it should only be for those who afford it. Well, guess what? I'm a history teacher. Electricity used to only be for the rich. Indoor plumbing used to only be for the rich. And then it went to the middle class. And now we expect it. You're never going to buy a new house and have to say, oh, by the way, if you want indoor plumbing, it costs more. 
It's a utility. And we've now realized that we need to make sure that everyone has access. It's going to help our businesses. It's going to help our farmers. It's going to help our kids. It's going to help everybody by making sure that that becomes a public utility. Thank you for making that point. And I just want to underscore something that you just said. And this really struck me when you and I talked about this earlier during preparation. The, the transportation services, I think a lot of people don't connect with the fact that, as you say, they're bringing food during these times. They are bringing Wi-Fi. It is, it is absolutely essential that these, these continue to get funded. Uh, Jenny, let's bring you back in. And, and for those who may not be familiar, can you talk about some of the ways that the Pierce County Council interacts with the education system? And, and then what sorts of changes you would advocate for? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. I've been asked many times because I am a teacher running for the county council and that's not a typical trend. Um, but we impact and make decisions regarding where schools can go as far as zoning and where growth can go. Go And when they're not working with their school districts, there's a disconnect and we end up with places growing too quickly for districts to keep up with. Um, we are the support system. We are the wraparound services. We provide um, supports for homeless families. We provide things through 211, which I know that my school district uses all the time. Um, Can we you just work briefly tell us, for those who aren't familiar, what 211 does? So um, if you've ever dialed 411 on a phone, 211 is something that is used in our community as an information housing. And basically you dial it and they ask you a little bit about yourself, like what you're looking for, and then they hook you up with resources. So I've called for voters about things just to educate myself, but they have just basically a huge laundry list of resources, partners across the community to provide information. So it, it's pretty much anything you need. They usually have an answer or a, a way to connect you. Um, we also partner with, the, obviously, the Pierce County Tacoma Health Department um, is part of it in, in monitoring, you know, food and air and water. Um, we are part of the court systems, and our courts sometimes have to come into the schools to handle students if there's an issue or concern or to provide services. Um, and in... I mean, just for the district that I'm running in, they run the ferry schedule. It's how the kids that are live on Anderson Island get to school and they directly tie, um, tie the parents' hands and tie the students' hands with that ferry schedule. But the biggest thing that I think um, our county council should and could be doing is working on our early childhood. And um, Mari and um, Representative Levitt and hopefully future Congress, congressional, um, congressional woman, Congressional woman, um, Dolio, sorry, um, uh, was regard like discussing early childhood. We we have to get kids prepared before they show up because when we have a deficit from day one in kindergarten, the stats are there. They are very very clear. If we start behind, we stay behind, and there it takes so much more energy to get kids caught up. And that's something our county can be doing and should be doing a better job at. We unfortunately have such limited time for this segment, and there's so much that I want to ask both of you about, and I'm going to try to get to questions about funding and also curriculum. Uh, so if you'll indulge me with some shortish answers, uh, that would be really, uh, really very helpful. Um, so we know that many people feel that McCleary funding isn't adequate to meet the needs of our schools completely. And I'm just wondering a couple of things. Um, do you, in terms of funding, do you support lowering the threshold to a simple majority to pass bonds and, and levies? Right now, it's a, I believe it's a two-third majority. Do you support that? 
Yes. Okay. And then I, I would also, and, and, and Jamie, I will ask this question of you as well, but, but Jenny, we'll stick with you for the moment. Do you think we should continue to rely on bonds for, for building and levies for learning? And if not, where should the money come from? So um, I'm not sure where the money should come from. I think it's it's a pretty clean way to kind of separate things. Um, and so I, I think if we do change things, it's it's shifting the how we're thinking about funding schools. And I know that that's a bigger conversation than probably um, and would be one of the fixes. But um, I think lowering, especially for bonds, we we have school districts that that have the need, the need desperately to build because we're growing in Pierce County. We know more people are coming and we need more schools and we quite literally have no place for them to go. Jamie, I would love to get you to sound off on everything that we've just talked about here. Uh, do you support uh, lowering the threshold to a simple majority? And then do you c- believe that we should continue to rely on on bonds and levies for our, our school funding? Yeah, so I, I think we do need to look into lowering it to a simple majority. Having a, a super majority, you know, we so many times in my school district, we've had 58 and 59% of people vote yes but then it doesn't happen. Um, and and I, I recognize that they're saying, well, you're, you're looking at different taxes, you're looking at, at charging people more, and so that's why. But when we, as Jenny said, we have literally schools bursting at the seams, and sometimes we have very unsafe schools. We have mold in, in places that if it was a housing unit, they would condemn. But because it's schools, we somehow get to keep them open and have our kids coming in. We've had the issues with pipes, for instance, realizing that some of the pipes in different districts are are lead pipes or that have issues with them. And so, um, you know, sometimes people say, well, I don't want to pay three dollars more. But that three dollars more is the health and safety of our kid. And so what we need to look at is we really need to look at how we structure schools and how we fund them. Because right now, as you mentioned, levies are for learning. And my particular school district, if the levy doesn't continue, which is going to be on the ballot, we'll lose over 100 teachers. Mm. So over 100 staff members that will be gone. And so many districts have had this issue where a levy doesn't pass. And this co- creates a very a, a big inequity because districts that always pass their levies can have more teachers, can have more curriculum, and can update the curriculum much sooner. And those areas that don't or don't have those same levy dollars have less teachers, have higher class sizes, and they're not able to get that new curriculum and not have the most up-to-date stuff. And so now that we're looking at, you know, needing to have laptops for our kids, you know, laptops cost a lot more than a box of chalk. And so you have to get these things passed. And so you'll have some very affluent areas that can pass them every time. And you'll have not as affluent areas that can't. And this is a, is a big issue. And so we really need to look at exactly how we're funding uh, and what is more equitable way to make sure that districts across the state are getting what they need for our kids. Because making sure that they, they've I've done numbers. Putting money into education quite often has an eight to one return on investment. The problem is, is that you don't get that until they graduate. And so people look at the short term and say, I don't want to spend three dollars or three hundred dollars now. But they don't realize that that's going to save them thousands of dollars in the long run. I hate to rush you through the answer to this question because it is such an interesting topic and you have bring such a unique perspective to it. Uh, But in the wake of the 2016 election, there's been a call for more robust civics education. I know that this is district by district. I know that teachers do not set the curriculum. So, but with that stated, you work with a nonprofit that, quote, works to develop citizenship, integrity, patriotism, and sacrifice in students, and you provide uh, free character development training and curriculum to teachers across the United States. What can you tell us about that? And maybe just talk a little bit about the need for civics in our schools. You know, honestly, we have 
you can look at what's going on nationally and you can look at how we've lowered our standards for a while. For instance, we cut social studies to two and a half credits and you didn't, and you can incorporate as long as you have civic style lessons into a class. So it's not necessarily how our government works. And I think you can see the results across the nation of places saying we don't need civics anymore. Um, I, I teach this character development program and we provide it free for teachers. And one of the reasons is because we've seen what's missing in schools. We've seen what happens when we don't let students know why their vote matters and how to vote and what the importance of that vote is. And then instead, there's a lot of voter suppression. A lot of people tell you your vote doesn't matter, but I'm going to tell you this right now. If people don't realize it, the super rich vote 98% of the time. 98%. The, the 2% they don't is typically because they're too sick to get to the polls. So if your vote didn't matter, they wouldn't be voting every single time. And we need our kids to recognize that and understand that. Um, last time I ran when I was knocking on doors, not this time, COVID and all, I, I met a woman in her 30s who had never voted before and was asking me just how to fill out a ballot. And we need to be showing kids when they're 18 how to fill out the ballot. I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And quite frankly, I would love to have you on the podcast to just sort of talk about that, uh, because I think it's so, so important. Uh, Jenny, I mentioned Beth Dolio's uh, climate change curricula. As a science teacher, I'd love for you to just talk briefly about the importance of this and how it's integrated into your curriculum. So... Um... I teach biology to freshmen and um, I'm not sure if it's going to be there this year with the curriculum we're using, but um, climate change curriculum is one of those things that depending on what is offered in your school district, sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not. And that's where I think there's a problem. So I'm very excited that we we have this push at the state um, level and hopefully she'll even go a little higher and push it at the federal level. Um, and because climate change is real, and I talk to students that that they agree, they believe, they they want to get involved because they're going to be here a lot longer than I am, and they want to make sure. I had a student that actually approached me about um, how do I how do I get fruit trees, food trees in my neighborhood? I I want to do something that's going to be good. It's going to feed people, and and they're engaged. They want to be part of that community. You've got the sunrise movement. You've got all these different youth the youth climate accord. I mean, you've got all this stuff where there's energy behind these kids because they understand they're going to be here. So the curriculum is coming. It's just not there in full in all districts and definitely not equitable across the state right now. You know, before I let you go, uh, I have mentioned at the top that you are both running for office. And Jenny, on your website, you give a number of reasons why people should elect a teacher to the Pierce County Council. I wonder if you could just run down some of those reasons. Yeah, so um, the idea of having a teacher on the council, when you really think about it, what, what do teachers have to do every day? Um, we have to talk to kids when they're frustrated and angry, and we have to talk to adults sometimes when they're frustrated and angry, and we have to get them to do things. We have to listen, and we have to be good at listening to others. We have to be able to communicate, multitask, calm people down. Um, we need to be able to work in groups, we need to learn new things and understand the fact that we are not experts and be willing to do that work. Um, we definitely know how to handle stress. And 
I have, I, as a teacher have the ability in a, in adult situation um, and a student situation to notice when there's a disconnect or someone doesn't understand and ask probing questions. Even if I already understand the topic, if my peers do not, and I can't tell you how often I wish questions were being asked more often um, because sometimes I think it's just a, a misunderstanding at the table that causes some of the strife that, that shuts things down. So those are just a couple of them. There's a bunch of my website. So and will you give us your website? Yeah, I'm going to throw it in the chat here in a second. So For those who uh, are but, listening by radio, I would love uh, it. Okay, yeah. yes. Um, it's electjannyhitchin.com. So it's J-A-N-I Hitchin.com. And then Jamie, I, I'm wondering how you feel. And this is something that the first time we spoke, you touched on this. How do you feel your experience as a teacher has prepped you for the job of representative? You know, as a teacher, we know how to pivot. We know how to plan. We know how to work incredibly hard. Um, and you can see that. I mean, 90,000 teachers across the state were basically given two days to say, hey, you're shutting down. Start making online curriculum. Start teaching. Start connecting. And that's what we do. We work with a diverse, a diverse body. It doesn't matter the ideas the student comes in with. It doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum they're on. We're there to teach them because we know what the goal is. And the goal is to have educated kids. The goal is to have them succeed. And that is what we focus on. It's not, do they come in as a Republican or Democrat? It isn't if they're left or right. And that's what our goal should be, is how do we help Washington and how do we help our kids? I work with parents. I work with community members. I work with administration. We've created stuff. We have changed stuff. We've adapted. And trust me, as a teacher, I know how to adapt on the fly. I have had those classes where you teach it first, you teach it second, third period, none of your technology works. It's a brand new class and you have 40 kids looking at you. So it, it's working together and it's learning how to pivot and it's recognizing when things don't work and changing them because that's key. A lot of too many people, a lot of people say, no, we're just going to, we've already working, stop, do something else. And that's what I think too often we don't see in politics. We would be so fortunate to have both of you in office. Uh, Jamie, what is your website? My website is votejamiesmith.com. Jamie's J-A-M-I-E. Jamie Smith and Jenny Hitchin, such a pleasure. Thank you so much to both of you. Thanks again to Jamie Smith and Jenny Hitchin. Thanks also to Kat Pipkin with the Washington Indivisible Network and Julie Anjievsky with Indivisible Tacoma. And that is it for today. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative Inc. and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Thanks this week to Catherine Fysiers. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.